0: Good morning, church. I'd like to welcome you this morning. Let's just lift our hands. Let's just praise, lift our voices. Let's just praise our God this morning. Let's sing this with me. Just one word.
1: Just one word. You calm the storm that surrounds me. Just one word. The darkness has to retreat. Just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. Just one touch, my eyes are open to see. My heart can't help but believe. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a mountain that He can't move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do Just one word You hear what's broken inside
0: the power you guys again uh, let's just whatever is happening in your life today let's just shut it off let's just focus on what the Lord's trying to tell us this morning as the spirit flows to this place let's just listen to him and let's continue to worship
2: sing this with me father of kindness A father of kindness, you have poured out grace. You brought me out of darkness, you have filled me with peace. I give her mercy, you're my help in time of need. Lord, I can't help but sing. Sing faithful i mm-hmm. Sing that bridge one last time. We we'll rest in His promises. Come on. And I will rest in Your promises. My confidence is Your faithful. One more time. Come on. And I will rest in Your promises. Come on. My confidence.
3: i yeah.
0: your name this morning lord god i pray that you would just pour out your peace your strength your joy in this place today lord god i just thank you for everything you're doing right now lord i pray that you would just prepare our hearts and our minds and open our ears and our eyes as we we may receive your word in a different light this morning lord god i just thank you and praise you for everything in your name i pray Amen. You may be seated.
4: What does it mean to be a man of faith? Enough of Christian, macho, strong man, bully definition of what it means to be a Christian man. It's not the masculinity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't need to be afraid of taking an honest look at ourselves because of what Jesus has done. You know what marks us out is not that we live by faith. Everyone lives by faith, everyone does. What marks us out is the object of our faith. And So what does it mean to have God as the central object of your faith, the central focus of your hope? What does it look like to get your identity from him your security from Him, your inner sense of well-being from Him. Does God have your heart? Is He the reason you treat your wife the way you do? Is He the reason you respond to your children the way you do? The reason you look at what you look at on your computer or your phone? The reason you spend your money the way you do? The reason you respond to your neighbors the way you do? He is your longing. He is your thought. He is your peace. He is your hope. He has your heart.
5: Brothers, brothers, can I get an amen to that uh, little piece of Paul Tripp's teaching uh, this morning? We are really excited uh, to be having a men's conference, a men of faith conference in the middle of this season. We want to invite you. We have a couple of different options to attend that I'll talk about in just a moment. But, you know, Paul, near the end of his first letter to the Corinthians, he says this. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. And he goes on from there. And, you know, that scripture has sort of been the theme verse of our men's ministry here at GBC over the last several years. And it kind of begs the question, what does it mean to stand firm in the faith? Or as the title of this conference, to be a man of faith, what does that mean? And so Paul Tripp, through three sessions this coming Friday night, is going to talk about that. He's going to, The three topics he's addressing is that men of faith are fearless, men of faith are tender, and men of faith are thankful. And I'm really excited about those topics, because even as you sort of got from the, what he shared there, it's it's not what you would necessarily expect to uh, be taught at a men's conference. And so I want to invite you uh, guys to attend in two different ways. Uh, number one, you can register online and attend here in this room. We do have limited space, and so I'd encourage you to do that uh, today if you plan on coming. Secondarily, we're encouraging and We're going to stream this event just like we would on a Sunday morning. And so you can watch from home. Uh, or even invite, we're encouraging uh, guys to gather in what we're calling microgroups of two to four guys. Now, in the home environment, you'll have the ability to do, uh, you know, food and fellowship beforehand, however you want to do that. Uh, in this COVID season, uh, we're going we're gonna to pass on the food this time, but we're going to be spiritually fed. And we're really excited about that. We think this has really high value for the church and for men. And what really is uh, it it affords us is an opportunity. It's sort of the first taste as a men's ministry of starting to gather for fellowship again. So, men, 6.30 p.m. this coming Friday here in this room or at your home, uh, we encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, If you're watching from home and you're comfortable with it, invite a couple guys over. Uh, Turn on the, the computer or the TV or YouTube and uh, and stream with us. Now, Paul Tripp will present his three sessions, and we will also have live worship. Johnny Gies, our worship pastor, and his team will be leading us in worship. We'll have a couple of other live components as well. In between the sessions, we'll be asking you to discuss a couple questions at home, and we'll be offering uh, the ability to do that in little pockets here in the sanctuary as well. Again, it's the return to fellowship, so to speak, and we're excited about that. And speaking of that, I want to invite you now, those at home, those in this room, Go ahead and greet each other with a holy wave or a holy text if there is such a thing. Reach out to one another, say hello, and we'll be back in about 30 seconds.
6: Good morning. It's uh, my privilege to introduce this morning uh, James Tabor, who will be our speaker. James and Lindsay and two of their kids are with us this weekend. Uh, James has uh, been spending, and his wife have been spending several years uh, reaching the unlost, uh, reaching out to unreached people, uh, particularly in South Asia. They have been home for a bit uh, working on mobilization. Mobilization is the idea of developing teams and getting new people out onto the field as well as doing some care for their family. Um, Prime uh, door to this area is through the medical clinic uh, that he uh, has started. he, He views it as kind of an incubation period to be the hands and feet of Christ to reach the um, unreached peoples in the, his region. So I want to invite you to uh, say hi to him. And James, please come and join us.
7: All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you today. And I really want to want to say a word of. Of thanks and appreciation to all of you for your prayers for us, for our family, for the work in South Asia over the years, for your support of us. Um, it's really wonderful to be back, and we'd love to meet uh, any of you after the service out out in the breezeway. Uh, let's start with, with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning to hear you speak to us. We come to you asking that you would you would pour out your spirit upon the preaching of your word, uh, that you would use it to open our eyes, and you would use it to to give us delights and hopes in you. That you would uh, transform our hearts through this time. Uh, would you do that? Would you would you take these simple words and would you make them come alive in our hearts? I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. So there are three amazing promises in this passage that we're going to be talking about today. And then there are two incredible gifts that Jesus gives in order to accomplish these promises. And as I've led up in the, in the past week to this weekend, I've been praying for this time together. And the thing that I've been praying particularly is that God would use His Word, this passage, to really open our eyes, as well as to give us a delight and a hope for the works That he's going to be doing first in our hearts but then after that through us to our neighbors to the people within our town to the people within our state here in Connecticut Rhode Island uh, Northeast America and then across the world to the nations so let's jump in uh, to this big task Uh, we're gonna start reading in the book of John 14 where you left off last week Uh, we'll start in verse 12 and I'll read on through verse 17 so this is what it says truly I tell you the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of Truth. The world is unable to receive him because it does not see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. What a remarkable passage. What remarkable words of Jesus. Listen to that first verse again. It says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. Who was this word spoken to? It's an important question because it opens up the door to unlocking this passage, this whole passage we need to know first. Who's it spoken to? Jesus wasn't speaking this just to his disciples of that day. He wasn't just speaking it to the early church. He's not just speaking it today to the elders of a church like this, or the pastors, or missionaries, or some group of elite Christians. Listen to what this verse says. It says, Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me. Different versions translate a little bit differently. Some say whoever believes. Some say anyone who believes or he who believes. But the meaning is unambiguous in all of them. He's speaking this to you. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, he's speaking this to you, friends, here at Groton Bible Chapel. And what is it that he says to everyone who believes? He says, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And we're going to get to what that means at the end, that works that I do. But there's a a word right in the middle of this verse. It just leaps off the page at me. And it's the word will. And I love that word because of the assurance of it. It doesn't say, those who believe in me might do the works that I do. He doesn't say, those who believe in me have the opportunity to to do the works, but it's will. Those who believe in me will do the works that I do. And it's a great promise, but at the same time, it's a promise that almost sits you upright. And and you've gotta think about it for a second because wait a second, if I'm a believer, I will do these works, what are these works that I am gonna be doing? What are these works that you're gonna be doing? Are these works miracles? You know, I grew up thinking that because I grew up reading the NIV. And in the, the old NIV, they've changed it now, but in the old NIV, this word works was translated miracles. And I think it's a poor translation because miracles is often a different word in the in the Gospels. And this particular word often describes more the, the life work of someone rather than the specific miracles. But they translated miracles, and I thought, boy, up until the 14th chapter of John, what has Jesus done? Let's see, he's turned water into wine, then he walked on water. He raised a paralyzed man. He raised a man who was stinking in the tomb for four days already dead. He raised a man who was, or made a, a man see who had been born blind. He's fed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves. Well, if this is what I need to do if I'm a believer, in fact, the verse goes on and says we'll do even greater things, if that's what defines a well, I'm not a believer and neither is anybody else that I've ever known. And so surely it can't mean that. But can that be included in what it means? And if you read verse uh, uh, Matthew chapter twelve, starting in verse two, I think it, it's a little bit helpful for us in understanding this, um, because that word works again is used. Uh, and this is this is uh, John the Baptist is in prison, and so this is where it starts in verse two. It says, "Now when John heard in prison what Jesus was doing, there's that word doing. Uh, that's the word works. So when John in prison heard of Christ's works. He sent a message through his disciples and asked him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The the dead are raised. The poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. And so that word, though, it doesn't fully mean miracles. Perhaps there is a part of it that does mean miracles. Do miracles still happen today? Does the body of Christ still do miracles as Jesus empowers them to do it? I was in my clinic in South Asia a while back and this woman walks in and and, uh, there's a young man sitting there who had only been a, a follower of Jesus for a few months at this point and And he's talking with the patients that are waiting to see me. And he asked this woman, can I pray for you? And she says, well, you know, the person that really needs prayer is my husband. But he can't come because he's been sick for eight years. And for the last three years, he's been on his bed. He can't even get out of bed. Uh, The doctors have all said he's going to die. The priests have already come over and given their last rites to him. uh, And so he's going to die. But would you be able to come and pray? And so this young man took another young man over and they prayed for him. And he was healed. Like you can't fake it because this man who was on his bed for three years within a week is hiking up mountain paths with these two evangelists going to his friends' homes and his relatives' homes and saying, look at me, I just walked to your house. You know how I've been for three years. These guys are going to tell you about Jesus because he's the one that did this to me and you're going to sit down and listen to them. And over the next couple of months, 12 house fellowships were started because of the testimony of this man saying, this is what Jesus did for me. Listen to what Jesus can do for you. So does it still happen today? Absolutely it still happens today. Should it happen in the church more often than what it happens? Maybe so. But is this the experience of every single believer? And I think the answer to that is no. Because when you look at 1 Corinthians 12 and you, you read about the Spirit of God empowering believers to build up the church, you see that some believers are given this the, the gift of Miracles, and some are healings, and some are prophecy, but others are generosity and administration and helps. And he hasn't given everybody the same gift, but he's given us a multitude of gifts for the common building of the church. And so though this may be a part of it, this isn't all of what it means. And so what does it mean then for all of us? It's it's helpful to go to John chapter 4 because this word again is used by John in John chapter 4, um, verse 34. This is just as Jesus has finished talking to the Samaritan woman. Uh, she came to him, he talked to her, uh, told her everything she did in her life. She runs back to the village to tell everybody else that maybe the Messiah has come. His disciples come back to him with food and say, Will you eat, Jesus? And Jesus says, I don't need to eat. And this is, then they're like, Why not? And so this is where we pick up. And Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to. Finish his work. This is where we see that word, finish his work. And then he goes on to describe what that is. Jesus told them, don't you say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields, because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. And what we see here is this idea that Christ is in the process, through his work, of ushering in the kingdom of God. And all the aspects of Jesus' life that are part of doing and are, and are pointing towards the ushering in of this, this kingdom, that's the work that Jesus is doing, bearing fruit into eternal life. And that's your work today. That's your commission. That's the call of God for you, is to be a part of ushering in the kingdom into your neighborhood and to the nations. Now let's read this verse one more time. It says, Truly I tell you that the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And that's a promise of this passage from Jesus to you. That's for you, and that's your glorious commission. As Isaiah said, being a part of ushering in the kingdom by breaking bonds of those who are enslaved, by giving sight to the blind, sometimes physically, many times spiritually, by setting the oppressed in your neighborhoods free, by proclaiming that this is the year of the Lord's favor to your neighbors and to the people around the world. That's the work that he is doing through us. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on, and it says, not only will you be doing the works that I do, you do greater works than these. Remember, this isn't spoken to elite Christians. This is to us that he's talking to. He says, "Greater, let that rest on you for a second. Greater works than these is what we will be doing. What are those greater works? Fortunately, again, John uses this phrase in a different passage, and it's the only other place in the Bible where this passage, or this phrase exactly, greater works than these, is also used, and that's in John chapter 5. So I'll read that, uh, starting in verse 19. It says, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. For the, for the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing, and he will show him greater works than these. And then he goes on to describe what that is, so that you will be amazed. And just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom he wants. Truly I tell you, anyone... Who hears these words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. The greater works here are tied to the Father raising the dead and giving to those who have faith eternal life. The anti's been raised. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, you know, he died. Jesus raised him to physical health. But what happened to Lazarus? He died again. And he's physically dead right now. But what Jesus is saying is God is doing a greater work, a work of, for eternity, giving eternal life. Not just for 50 years or 60 years, but for eternity, he's giving life. There was an older couple that brought their adult daughter into my clinic one day, and she was having these episodes of passing out. And in, in the country that I work in, the, you know, passing out can mean oodles of different things. And so I'm like, oh boy, what is this? I put my hand... On her arm to put her blood pressure, the blood pressure cuff on, and instantly she passes out. And her parents are like, "Yeah, that's what she does." And so we move her over to the bed, and and I say, "Would it would it be all right if I prayed for her in the name of Jesus?" Now these aren't followers of of Jesus by any means, but they say, "Sure, go ahead and pray in the name of Jesus." So I start praying, and as I begin praying, immediately she leaps up on the bed with a scream, lunges across the bed, and grabs me by the waist. And my mind's like, "Whoa, that's not normal." And <laughs> So I, I I instantly because because we would see, you know, demonic manifestation where we work is is not uncommon. And it, it demonstrates itself differently than probably what it does here. But that's not too uncommon there. And and so I said, This is demonic. And so I rebuked the demon in Jesus' name and instantly it left. The girl sat down, her face complexion changed, her parents are like because they had seen this passing out before, and they've seen this manifestation before, but they've never seen this sudden change before. They're like, what just happened? And I said, can we tell you about Jesus? And they said, yeah, tell us about Jesus. And so we went through a couple of hours with them. And by the end of that encounter, this adult daughter and and her two parents had professed faith in Christ. And for eternity, their lives were changed. Not just her free from the oppression of the enemy for a temporal time here on earth, but for eternity, her Lives, their lives were changed. And that's this greater work that he's talking about here. It's no longer just about now, but it's for eternity. He calls us into this work to be a part of raising the dead spiritually. All sins that were forgiven before the cross, even the sins that Jesus forgave, sins forgiven before the cross were always looking forward in anticipation to something, they were passed over. So that at one point, a real sacrifice that would pay those sins would happen. But we have something greater than that now. Looking back at that sacrifice accomplished, Christ's death completed for us, our sins are done. And the message that we proclaim to our neighbors and the message we proclaim to the nations is of a sacrifice that's been made, of sins that have been forgiven of a unity with God that you can have from now into eternity by faith in Christ. That's the greater work that he's talking about. Listen to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he, tra- and he committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. Isn't that remarkable? That's talking about us. God has given us the message of reconciliation to the world. He has a message for the world, but he's decided to use us to be the mouthpiece for that message to go to the world. Now the third promise. And the third promise I'm only going to touch on briefly because uh, this promise is repeated over and over in this dialogue that Jesus is having in the upper room. And so you'll hit it again in this sermon series but this third promise is in verse 13. Let me read it for you. It says, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Do you live with that promise? That Jesus has told you, Ask me anything in my name and I will do it. Now this phrase, in my name, it's... it's Listed seven times in this dialogue. Because it means more than just taking the phrase in Jesus' name and putting it on the end of your prayer. What it means is that as we bring our requests before him, we're bringing them to him according to and with all of his power. In accordance with his person. In accordance with his purpose. And as we do that, he promises us, ask anything in my name. And I will do it for you. So three promises, everyone who believes in Jesus will do the works that I do, Jesus says. Promise number two, everyone who believes in Jesus Jesus, will do greater works than these. And number three, ask anything in my name and I will do it. And now the two gifts that he gives us in order to accomplish these promises. And the first one we've already talked about. It's the gift of prayer. And he gives it to us because of this. Listen to what Jesus says about himself in John chapter 5. We already read this earlier, but John chapter 5, he says, The son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees his father doing. If this is what Jesus says about himself, what about us? Like Jesus says, the son's not able to do anything apart from the father, but only what he sees his father doing. Well, Jesus says the same thing about us in John 15. He says, the one who remains in me and I and him produces much fruit but you can do nothing without me and so here he set us up with a promise saying you will do the works that I do and then he says hold on you can't do anything and so then he gives us this promise of prayer and says yes but through me you can do everything you're going to do it you can't do it i can do it we will do it and that's how we proceed with this promise Now the second promise, which is the most glorious promise. And that starts in verse 16. It says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. The gift of the Holy Spirit In the next chapter, Jesus says to his disciples, it's good that I'm going away. It's good for you I'm going away. Because if I go away, I'm going to send the advocate to you, the the counselor, the helper, the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure the disciples, you know, uh, chapter 14, just a few weeks ago, uh, Gary preached this. Chapter 14 starts with the disciples distraught because Jesus has just said, I'm going to go away. They're like, where are you going? And we want to go with you. And now he's saying, it's good for you that I'm going away because I'm sending... The Spirit to you and I'm sure they wondered as I often wonder myself as I look at the Spirit's engagement with the church in America, my own personal experience and, and work of the Spirit in my life, I think, wow, this just doesn't seem to make sense because wouldn't it be great to have Jesus right next to me? Wouldn't it be great to go to work with Jesus? Wouldn't it be great if I could sit in the chair there and we could have Jesus up here teaching us? I like, that would be wonderful. but what he's saying to them, is that when you look in broad brush strokes in the Old Testament, God was for his people. And that was marvelous. But then we got to the Gospels and we met Emmanuel, which is God with his people. But now we're entering into an age where he says no longer is it just God for his people, God with his people. Now it's God in his people. And that's what you get is God in you, not a force. Like you see in Star Wars, not chi like you see if you saw Mulan recently. This is a person of the Trinity living within us to do His work through us. This past summer uh, in in um, South Asia, uh, one of our evangelists had been going to a village. Um, A Number of times and there had been about 25 people who came to faith in Christ and um, it was it was a wonderful wonderful day He was returning to baptize these people in in that country It's become illegal to baptize you if you're caught you can go to prison for 12 years and so please keep them in your prayers Uh, But he was going to baptize them and when he arrived There was a mob waiting for him and they began to beat him and they beat him until he was unconscious and then they beat him until he died and these 25 believers, knowing what it could cost them to be baptized, called back to our team, and they said, that the person that, that you sent to baptize us, he was killed. Can you send somebody else? <laughs> and we're like, um, let's draw short straws for this one. Uh, no, one of, one of my friends, he's got a wife, three small kids, and he said, I, I knew this man the best. In fact, he was the one who had led this man who was killed to the Lord and discipled him. said, I'll go and I'll baptize these people. So he went, and he did baptize them, and it it went through that time. Uh, But that village had been ravaged by COVID, and so people were without food, uh, without jobs. And so he brought some food along, some rations to hand out, and he was handing out these rations. And while he was doing that, one of the instigators of the mob, a man who himself had called this particular evangelist with death threats, had lost his job and had no food for his family and said I'm gonna disguise myself and I'm gonna go get some food from these people so he does he disguises himself gets in a line comes by and when he gets to the front of the line my friend recognizes him for who he is and calls him out by name and gives him some food and the man was so impacted by this gift of love to an enemy that he said who is this Jesus that you serve tell me about him and he's in a Bible study now learning more about Jesus These men would not have done what they did apart from the Spirit of God at work living inside of them. Jesus accomplished the works that he was going to do in that village through these men because of the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit is alive today inside of you. That is the power at work inside of you. And we know that The Holy Spirit was alive in these men because it's only by the Spirit that you can have the love for your enemy like they showed. Romans 5.5 says, For God has poured out His love into our hearts by means of the Holy Spirit who is God's gift to us. Only by the Spirit can you have the courage in the face of death and persecution that these men showed. In 2 Timothy 1.7 it says, For the Spirit of God does not give us or make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And only by the Spirit can you have the words of kindness when your enemy approaches you for food and say, yes, here's some food, because we know that Luke 12.12 says the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what to say. And both of these men, I'm sure, knew what 1 Peter 4.14 was referring to when it says, if you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And so the life of my dear friend and the death of his dear friend accomplished Christ's work in that village by the power of the Spirit. And if that's not enough, listen to some of the other promises from across the New Testament about who the Spirit is to us and what He does for us. From John chapter 3, we know that the Holy, it's the Holy Spirit that causes us to be born again Verse five says, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. From 1 Corinthians 12.3, it says no one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Spirit. From Romans 8.13, it says that we must put to death the misdeeds of the body by the Spirit if we're going to live. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says all our efforts to pursue righteousness will be worthless apart from the Spirit because it's the Spirit that brings us sanctification. Ephesians 1.17 says that it's the Spirit that gives us wisdom. 2 uh, Corinthians 12.7 says that each believer has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good of the church. Romans 8.11 says that the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is, is living in you, and He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies. And Acts 1.8 says that we'll receive power when the Spirit comes on us to be His witnesses in Groton, in Ledger, in Connecticut, in Northeast America and in the world. It actually says in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But that's what the Spirit does is gives us the power to be His witness. In Romans 8.6 it says the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And after a year like we just went through 2020, we need to be beacons of light in our communities saying we have peace. But where does that come from? That's that's from the spirit. Romans 8 says, we know from Romans 8:14 that those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. And from 8:15 that we can go to God and call him Abba Father because of the spirit. We can go to God and say daddy father. So no spirit, we have no salvation, no life, no holiness, no gifts for the building of the church, no power, no witness, no peace. We're not children of God. But by the Spirit, all these things can be ours. And so why would we not, with our whole hearts, with our whole mind, with our energy, with our effort, seek the Spirit, run after the Spirit? Beware, the world has sold us replicas of this, in the security that the world promises us, in the pleasures that the world promises us, in these comforts and freedoms. It's a replica of the Spirit. Give it back. It's not real. Seek the Spirit. So what I wanted to do in order in, in to end today is to take and give five steps that we can all do in order to Be filled more with the Spirit. Now you need to remember Romans 8 also says that the Spirit enters us when we're saved. It's not that the Spirit comes and then goes and we don't have the Spirit. The Spirit is always with us, but our experience of the Spirit is always partial in this world. That's why to the Ephesians, to Christians in Ephesus, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. It's not because they didn't have the Spirit, but It's because they did have the Spirit, but He wanted them to be filled with it. And so these steps are things that we can do in order to be filled more on a daily basis with the Spirit. So step number one, repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. These are the legs of the Christian walk. This isn't the door that you enter into to get into the Christian life. But this is the Christian life. Repentance, faith. Repentance, faith. In many areas of our life, this being one of them. Repentance, Spirit, I have not followed you. I have not sought you. I have not been led by you as I should. I do desire more of you. Repentance. But then faith. Believe the gospel. Preach that gospel to yourself. Listen to what um, Galatians 3.5 says. It says, so then, does God give you the spirit by, and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Is it by our righteousness, by us doing the works of the law, that he gives us the spirit and does miracles? And so, no. It's by believing what you have heard it's by believing what you've heard and so repentance and then faith is number one number two ask ask for the spirit luke eleven thirteen 13 says if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father give you the spirit to those who ask and so we need to ask you know um jesus just finished saying one of one of the promises to us is that we have the promise that ask anything in my name and I will do it. And I love in, in Luke, um, Luke chapter 11, Jesus is describing prayer, and he describes it in this way. And I was, I was driving the other day listening to the Bible on tape while I was driving, and um, this phrase hit me, and I, I'd never heard it before. Like, wow, that's amazing. He describes us as coming in prayer, shameless audacity, shameless audacity. Isn't that great? We are coming with shameless audacity to our Father. Shameless. We don't deserve this. But Christ has given it to us as a gift. With audacity, with boldness before the throne of God. Not because of what we bring, but because of who Christ is for us. So ask for it. All right, number three. Meditate on all the truths and promises in the Word of God. You know, there's a special unity between the Word of the Spirit and the and the Spirit of God within us. Listen to what John 6, 63 says. This is remarkable. The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help us at all. The words that I have spoken to you are Spirit. The words I've spoken to you are Spirit. So the Spirit gives life. The words I've spoken to you are Spirit. Take those words in. Spend your time in the mornings meditating on the Word of God, spend your time in the evening meditating on on the Word of God. Memorize these words of life because the words that Jesus spoke to us are spirit and life. All right, number four, uh, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Galatia, uh, Ephesians 4.30 says. It says, I don't, uh, And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit with which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. If you're an angry person, if you're harsh towards your spouse, towards your neighbor, if you're getting on the internet and looking at pornography regularly, these things are going to grieve the Spirit of God within you and you can't expect a fullness of the Spirit as you do this. Step number six, uh, number five, the last one, desire the Spirit. In all your repentance, in all your faith, in all your meditation, in all your prayers, desire the Spirit. Listen to what Jesus says in John seven thirty-seven: If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. He said this about the Spirit. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If we're not thirsty, we're not going to come for it. We won't drink when we don't want that, that water. And so, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. As the deer pants for streams of water, the psalmist said, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Can you say that with the psalmist this morning? And if you can't say that, remember the promise of Jesus. Ask anything in my name and I will do it and ask him for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we long for this. We long for filling of your spirit. We long for you to do your works in us and through us to our neighbors and to the nation's. We long to be your vessels to be used. We long for this commissioning to be ours. And so would you do this work in us? Would you do the work of opening our eyes to see you as glorious, of opening our hearts to recognize the height and breadth and depth of the love of God for us? Would you propel us out by your promise and not propel us out by duty or obligation with cold hearts, but propel us out with the heat of faith that's worked in us by the Spirit of God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
6: Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Two things to know. If you're new, we would love to connect with you, get a chance to meet you both in person at our Welcome Center, or virtually you can click the I'm New button. And also we are starting our next Welcome Aboard class where you can get to know a little bit more about the church, about the staff and what we do here. That will start on March 7th. Again, you can register in person at the Welcome Center or via the website. And I am personally super excited about our final announcement. We are joyously bringing back child dedications. We are going to be able to do that again for the first time in well over a year. We're gonna bring it back at the end of March, so starting tomorrow, you can head to gbckids.org for more information. Have a great day, guys.